Today I'm gonna talk with the happy pair. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. Woohoo! Great to be here, genuinely. I kind of wish we had a press record like 60 seconds ago when the lads were fumbling around with the light trying to make themselves look handsome. <laughs> make us look like a big deal, Anthony. <laughs> lads, you are a big deal. You are a big deal. Uh, lads, I want to join... lamp. Look, just maybe sit up. There's our lamp in case you're wondering. <laughs> And you can actually, the lads are selling this home setup they have as well, where they will come into your house and design your Zoom studio <laughs> to the same level of professionalism. That's it, that's it. Uh, lads, let's journey back to all those years ago uh, when the idea of a veg shop popped into your head. Talk us back to sort of the preamble to that, because you were very different people back then. Yeah, so well, I, do you want to leave? You don't need it. Okay, cool. <laughs> like we grew up in a lovely little town called Greystone. Some of you might be familiar, some of you may not. Uh, and we grew up playing a lot of sport. We were two identical twins, busy lives, loved sport, loved, you know, as we became teenagers and kind of into the late teenagers, loved getting pissed, chasing women, went to an all boys school, load of rugby. That was kind of happiness. Went to, weren't really sure what we were interested in beyond getting drunk and chasing women. So it was like, let's go to college. Great. What do we study? No idea. Business. Great. So we went off and we did degrees in business. And then, and really, the underlying theme was there's going to be more women in college than there is in an all boys school. That's I had the same experience myself as well. Yeah. And, and I, I think part of it, like, we grew up in a family of four boys. All our family was all boys. We went to all boys school. We played rugby. Played a lot of men, so it was very macho. So excuse the the one sided slant on it all, but the plot does change. Uh, and when we were in college, we were kind of sold the idea of the American dream that money makes you happy and materialism is if you want true. And I think being highly competitive males, you know that it's excelled in sport. Obviously, the new sport was business. I was like, right, we're going to be millionaires, Steve. We're going to be billionaires. This is it. And then at the end of college, we both didn't, we both didn't, we both felt like an emptiness or something. We didn't really believe it. And Steve says, right, Dave, I'm going away. You can't come with me. I'm going away traveling and I'm not coming back till I'm happy. And he went off to Canada to go be a snowboard instructor amongst many well, other Well, I just things. went on a journey and didn't know where I was going to go and just wanted to take it day by day and explore the facets of life and look beyond my own social conditioning and see where I had some more meaning. Was there talk um, you becoming an investment banker um, at one point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when I finished college, I was thinking, oh, maybe I'd be an account, maybe I'd be an investment banker because I can make a million before I'm thirty easy, and then then I can go do what I'm interested in. Whereas it was on this this journey, kind of of uh, I can retrospectively entitled a journey of self discovery. So I went <laughs> kind of experimenting, like from tree planting to northern Canada, where we get a health helicopter to work with Christians to hitchhiking down around Nevada, going to Burning Man 20 years ago, to staying on polyamorous communities, to meditation centers, to whatever, just exploring the multifaceted, I guess, ideas around life and to see where I fit and where I felt most happiest. And, and at the same time, I'd gone off to South Africa to go be a golf pro. Yeah, you're a scratch golfer. 
Yes, yeah, we were really into golf as well. And then I played that for a few months and then realized, geez, it's really lonely. Like, there must be more again. So a bit like Steve, I went off on this quest, in a sense, to find out, find more meaning. And then one day, back in 2003, Steve calls him says, I, I, I got this idea. Do you want to, like, start a health food revolution? Because we've both gone from, as Stephen said, meathead jocks, like hot-blooded jocks that were all into <laughs> drinking beer, eating burgers and dips points and you know really that classical jock and then we came back like through that journey we ended up becoming vegan and giving up alcohol and getting into yoga and meditation and like you know we had a huge change in in how we were our behaviors and then steve calls me up and he says do you want to like start this vegetable shop and we we left as these jocks that were doing modeling and we were quintessential you know yeah quintessential kind of Donnybrook jocks come from Wicklow, like North Wicklow. But, and then we came back as these long-haired hippie vegans that were 24-year-olds that were starting a vegetable shop that had a van and it smelled of cabbage. And people thought we were selling drugs down in the back, you know, because we were such stinking... You know, they're just so happy with our vegetables. Yeah, and it was such a, an ironic kind of thing because, you know, people from our small town thought, oh, the lads, they're... Like, you know, they're really going places. They went to college and they're really good at sport. And then here we were, we came back and we started a vegetable shop and it really didn't fit with the previous idea of what we should be using. Where did you start seeing yourself differently? Because this is something that we talk about to athletes all the time. If you see it all the time, neurolingual programming where people try and lose weight or they try and quit smoking. You probably have a friend who's tried to quit smoking. You say, oh, I've tried to quit. But you know what they say, once a smoker, always a smoker. And his identity is still a smoker. So we work really hard with athletes to try and get them to see themselves as an athlete because you've got certain habits where you're an athlete. You don't sit around pounding Doritos and drinking beer all day. You're thinking about the next session. How did you make that shift from thinking about yourselves as, you know, the Gordon Gecko of Greystones to <laughs> I'm this sort of hippie, free-loving, the journey from kind of materialism to spirituality? Uh, I think... I think it's something that's always there. It was just, I guess we were too busy caught up in our, our, the life that we were told and we thought that we had to live. And it was only as identical twins as we separated and put ourselves in different environments that it gave us the opportunity to question, you know, and kind of understand who do I want to be now that I'm not like an identical twin and I'm not like, it's like maybe I'll be a hippie for a while and see if that's like, and maybe I'd be like, Someone who's into like vegetables. And I, I bought a drum at one stage because I thought maybe I want to be one of those people that go around with one of them djembes. And then you realize, <laughs> oh, I'm not that person. And then whatever way, I think over time, your perspective, I think maybe, maybe I was just going to say that uh, like most people's life has an inertia, that you are a certain person because of all the people around you see, that see you as this person and they validate, oh yes, you are, you are such and such a person. And it's only when you get to go away for a couple of years or a period of time and you can reflect on who you, who genuinely you feel like you are in this moment. And then when you come back, you can actually reframe it and re kind of establish new relationships. And when we did come back, we, there was obviously all our old friends really didn't want to be friends with us anymore because we used to go drinking and go to the pub and go, you know, play rugby. Whereas we came back and here we were, we wanted to swim in the sea and do yoga and, and talk about lentils and talk about lentils. <laughs> and they really weren't in at all. So we had to find new friends completely. And that makes it easy in a sense that you just kind of, you're almost like starting again. Did you have a vision for this whole thing? I suppose for some of our uh, American viewers or our foreign viewers, the 10 people in the world that don't actually know who you two lads are, the lads like might look like scruffy, disheveled hippies, but I can't even keep track of what you boys are up to these days. There's cafes popping up all over the place. 
super volume. He misses is bringing home a happy pair of dinners. There's cookbooks. There's TV shows. There's Jamie Oliver collaborations. Did you have a vision starting out, or is this like we need to figure out how to make a few quid to pay the rent, selling vegetables? Like, how big was this vision, and how out of fucking control is it now? <laughs> I think it's. I think you're never in control. But it's grown a lot for me and Dave to hit these with a dream where at times it's been up as far as 200 people with us. A number of cafes, we've maybe 50 products in about a thousand shops. We've um, written our fifth book is coming out this week. Uh, we've, what do we have? We've, is it six online courses? We've yes, loads online six, courses with wonderful doctors, medical experts. And we've had about 50,000 people through them. And there's loads of bits we do. And we've, but, but guess, we've been at it 16 years. So, and we love it. So it doesn't feel like it's... But the, the question was about, do we have a vision? I think at the start, no, we didn't, not in the slightest. All we had was that the whole vision was how can we, you know, we wanted to use business as a vehicle to make the world a happier, healthier place. Like that was really it. And the whole vision was... We felt we had changed so much, like changing our diet and our lifestyle had changed us so much that like genuinely we described it as we wanted to get whatever was in us and share it with, you know, try to get it out of us. You know, the, the, and we never had a vision, an end vision. It was more, um, it just kind of unfolded, you know. But uh, do you know what I think you lads have done moment. super well? Because you can talk to somebody about, you know, the benefits of vegan lifestyle, but you start going into all sort of, I call it techno babble about that, where you start spamming them with, oh, you shouldn't eat meat for these reasons. And it's like when, did someone ever tell you a story and you're telling you the story and they tell it like five times and then you still don't get it. And then at the end, they just go, oh, I guess you had to be there. And I feel that like element of you had to be there. It's the change of state and you've changed them from one state to the other. And I think you lads have done that super well because you've made this into a lifestyle. And once you buy into this lifestyle, you go and you find veganism all on yourself. You lads aren't serving that up. You're serving up a lifestyle. And then it leads me to find that solution. Was that accidental or are you two just warp geniuses? Jesus, no, definitely. Not in the slightest. We're chaotic. Maybe some people might be mistakenly think we're some kind of strategy, strategic masterminds, but now we're two lovely idiots just fumbling along. <laughs> and some things go right, and loads of things don't go right. And but, yeah. but we're very committed to what we do. So I think it's that, that sense of the compounding consistency of the daily habits, daily rituals, they add up. Like we've been at it 16 years now, so it's quite a, quite a while. And I think that's a great message for people watching, especially in sport, because we see, I like to divide it as events and processes and everyone sees the events like you lads opening a cafe, you lads launching a book, launching a new course, late, late show appearance. And they think, oh, the lads have got real lucky. They don't see the process behind it. They don't see the 16 years. And, you know, I wasn't there and you weren't on social media, but I can only imagine the trawling down to the market in Smithfield trying to buy vegetables in your uh, Del Boy three wheel van. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Little Red Van. Yeah, we did that for years, you know, 4.30 a.m. Did a lot of that. And, you know, people, and, and it's amazing, you, like, you'd meet people and they'd kind of, um, it seems to cut to you. Whatever. No, I can still, still there. I still hear your videos just mm-hmm. hanging up a wee little bit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it has a, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You meet people that didn't really know that you've been in business 16 years and they'll kind of, they, they'll think, geez, you've done so much in a couple of years and you're kind of going, <laughs> No, it's been 16 years. I've gone this way and that way and this way and that way. And sure, here we are today. And today it looks sunny and rosy, but, you know, yesterday it wasn't at all. Uh, talk to us about failures along the way. Failures, yeah, I think that, well, 
I think like people, the idea of success, people almost have it as a destination and failure, like, you know, failure is just, it's, it's the steps along the way to whatever this destination of success is, you know, because it's just so inevitable as part of everything, you know, even coming up with a recipe that it takes you X amount of efforts to get to what you're trying to get to. And I just think it's so part of everything. We've embraced it and haven't, maybe when you start your own business, you realize you become an expert problem solver because there's just so many problems and so many failures on a daily basis that you're, you become so used to failure. You're much more used to a failure than success. And other people mistakenly might think you're, geez, you're successful. And it's like, no, I'm just a bit of an expert with failure, <laughs> you know, and that's the reality of it. You know, I'm really comfortable with failure. I don't get upset with failure because it happens day in and day out. And, you know, that's like, I, I, I thought it was a nice one. This might be very cliche, but the whole idea that a failure is only a failure when you forget to reflect and learn from it because yeah, that's ultimately a failure it's, it's life's lesson to teach you just how to recalibrate and with the recalibration you have that learned experience and suddenly you make success and success is only the the, the compounding of all these failures and i always loved i always loved thomas edison's one i think it was that he it took him excellent attempts to, to reach the light bulb and he said well i didn't see one of them as failures i saw each one of them is a step in the journey to getting the light bulb. And I think that perspective is very different. A bit like the person who cycles the Tour de France in the world record time. They didn't do it in the first time. It took them 20 years of consistent hard work to get to this result. And there's been, a, like as Michael Jordan's, you know, I think if you saw his documentary, which yeah, is incredible. Great. And he talks about that, you know, people think that he made so many shots, but he says, I, I'm, I've missed way more times than I made. It's just people, you know, seem to remember that bit. You know? And you two boys were athletic growing up, both played rugby, and you're still super athletic, judging from your social and all your crazy handstands. <laughs> you're still well able to handle yourself. Yeah. What sort of a edge has the vegan lifestyle given you, or why are you such a strong proponent to it? I was actually vegan for a year. Um, I raced pro cycling for a year as a vegan. Yeah. So are there many pro cyclists as vegans? There is quite a few. Yeah. It's getting more and more popular. Yeah. Well, I think, think like from a sporting perspective, like the holy grail of athletic performance has been able to recover quicker because then you can train more and keep training the muscles and conditioning the muscles. And what's essential to that is having more oxygen in your bloodstream. And a plant-based diet is like, it's so full of water. Like it's 80 to 90% water, water, H2O, it's really high in oxygen. So it's really enhancing your capacity to recover, which is obviously optimum for any kind of athletic performance. So from that perspective, it really is beneficial. And um, also it's like most people, nine out of 10 people don't get enough fiber and fiber you only get in fruit and veg. And 70% of your immune system comes from your, your gut, which, which, all your microbacteria live on fiber. Does Steve wants to say something now? No, I was just going to say, <laughs> like, I, I think we've learned a long while ago that our main message isn't about kind of encouraging people to be vegan or vegetarian. It's to get people to eat more whole foods. So it's like, I could eat a vegan diet and eat dark chocolate and French fries, and I'm a vegan, yay! But in, in terms of my own personal health, the main thing is to eat whole foods. So the distinction between whole foods and refined foods, for those who don't know, Whole foods being like unrefined foods that you find in nature. So that's a whole food such as lentils, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, fruit, vegetables, versus refined food might be croissants, coffee, white bread, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just to try to get the majority of their calories to whole food. Because if you look at the blue zones, 
where they're the five areas in the planet. Love the blue zones. Talked about them loads on this. Yeah, yeah. So 95% of their diet is, is whole food, but they're not necessarily vegan or vegetarian. So I think it's to move beyond the titles in the sense of the, the duality of you're a vegan and you're not a vegan and I'm a, I'm a holy vegan and you're, you're just a stupid vegan. I think it's more about we're all trying to do our best. We're all going to die one day. And I think research is pretty clear that the more whole foods you can eat, the more beneficial it is to your health. But it's not an all or nothing thing. Yeah, and that's good. I think it's nice to move away from that almost like a religious fundamentalism around vegan. I raced in the US for years vegan, but I wasn't a vegan for any sort of moral or ethical objection. I was looking to minimize inflammation and try and improve recovery. So if I went to a friend's barbecue, like I'd have a steak or I'd have a burger at a very odd time. But like you'd be abused. Like I thought you were a vegan. I was like... I'm whatever I want to be. Like, you don't have to put me in a narrow little box so you know how to describe me and know how to interact with me. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. And that's, I think people love, you know, we all love putting people in boxes and that's the thing in terms of diet that it's become quite religious. So I think it's about, as you very well said, that it's just giving yourself the freedom to eat what you feel like. And obviously, as Stephen said, the more whole foods you can eat, the better. Uh, lads let's finish up on this one because i know uh when i think of you two lads i don't really think of two lads who are vegan i more think of as cliche as is two humans who are very well connected to their surroundings are very mindful of food they're putting in activity connection to the land and morning routines seem to be big in the happy pair world talk to us about that morning routine and the importance you lads place on it yeah, so I guess we, for years, have had a very strong morning routine, and part of it is swimming in the sea at sunrise, which sounds stupid. Like, we never planned to be daily sea sw- sunrise sea swimmers. Oh, I actually we had Claire Walsh on the summit yesterday, and she was asking after you guys. Oh, she's brilliant. She's in Egypt at the moment, I think. Yeah. At home, so. um, but yeah, yeah, we, like, for the last six years, we've swam every morning at sunrise all year round, and it sounds like a crazy thing to do, but it's so... Something so so primal of getting into the sea, this embracing this cold sea at sunrise, where you literally see the sunrise when it actually isn't that cloudy, but it connects with the elements, with the seasons, with the the air temperature. Like it's it's with an incredible yeah, and fr- we do it with a bunch of people, so that's an incredible thing. And then obviously most mornings we will train, we'll do yoga, we'll do handstands, we'll go for a run, we'll meditate. We do all, you know, we try all sorts of different things. But, but I, I think the bit that makes it most sustainable for us is the sense of community around it, that we become the combination of the people that we spend most time with. And I, I guess in modern day society, we're becoming more kind of needing connection more than ever because it's something that the digital A's, we kind of think it's the exact same, whereas you can't beat the face-to-face connection, the ability to chat, to laugh, to, to share a problem, just to, so, so as much as our morning routine is exercise, swimming and training and that type of thing, it's all in a group, like we'll train, there might be five or 10 of us, depending on you know if Corona's happening or not. But pre-Corona, there was, there was always a bunch of us would train in the morning, we'd meditate, and then you go to the beach and there could be 10 to 50 or to 100 people and you're interacting, you're meeting people. And by the time the day started at nine o'clock or eight o'clock, eight thirty, you know, you've you've had like a party nearly. You've just had you're full up, you've trained, you've swam the sea, you've had so much social interactions that 
anything else that happens, the bonus. I'm going back to bed after. (laughs) You just feel like you've won, you know, so... And, and it really, I think the richest part is the humans. And I think you touched on the blue zones already, but that's another one of the commonalities in the blue zones. It's that social connection and sense of just connectedness among people. And like you touched on the digital age there, like we've, you know, 15,000 or you lads, I don't know, there are a million followers, but still some people are very lonely despite all those followers they have, especially in COVID era. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's even more important now. And I guess there's, like I think it comes back to if people are feeling lonely I think there's some I think the first thing is to start saying hello to your like not I think the very first thing is acknowledging that the most basic need that we have as humans is our physiological need the most basic one is to connect with other humans so that's the first thing the second thing I would say to start saying hello to your neighbors because every relationship starts somewhere and no matter where you live there's highly likely, you know, with 7 billion people on the planet, there's going to be someone living near you. Start saying hello to people because every relationship starts somewhere. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that every single person in this world is an insecure little three-year-old wanting to be loved. And we all have different strategies. Anthony's a great cyclist. He's got lovely curly hair. We're good with vegetables, etc. We all have different <laughs> strategies to, to, you feel, know, feel to kind of get acceptance and to be appreciated. And I think it's really it's great to remind ourselves of our own, you know, insecurities and that most people have just different strategies and it's to kind of, the more we can connect, the more, at least in our experience, it provides more meaning, the more whole we can feel. Lads, if we can channel your energy onto a bike, we could be onto something big here. <laughs> we really could. <laughs> we're, going, we're going bike riding real soon. I think you lads can be champions. Oh, I love, I love it. it. <laughs> uh, lads, thanks for joining us. Before you head off, uh, what's the best place for people to follow you? What's the new stuff you want to point people towards? Uh, well, if you've got the internet, you should be able to find us if you just type in the happy pair. <laughs> but actually, before you tell that, I typed in the happy pair earlier researching the podcast because like, obviously I know who you are, but I wanted to get a little bit of background. The first question that comes up on Google is, are the happy pair brothers? I was like, who searches that <laughs> question? <laughs> That's hilarious. We're twin brothers. Identical twin. Yeah, Boys, so. man, man, you know, we turned 41 this week. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're, we're the happy pair on Instagram and on all social media. And we've got a new book coming out today. Is the 7th of December. We've got a new book out on the 10th, which is called The Happy Health Plan, which we're really excited about. It's got 90 delicious recipes and it's got the learnings from, we've got 50,000 people through online courses from all over the world and it's got the learnings from that with all the doctors and dietitians distilled into it so it's an exciting project that we're really awesome at. can't wait to check it out lads you're legends you bring a smile to people's face thanks, keep doing cheers, what you're doing thanks, keep, thanks, keep cycling cheers, cheers. That's a love. Bye, bye. okay stop what you're doing it's anthony again i want to talk to you for one second about the next step in the roadman journey I'm laying down a challenge for you. It's called the eight week challenge. So for eight weeks, I'm challenging you to be the very best version of yourself, whatever that is. For eight weeks, I wanna take you under my wing and I wanna personally build for you a customized training plan on our analytics platform. This plan is gonna be laser focused on your goal and I'm gonna navigate around your life, your work, your social commitments. So don't worry about what your circumstances are right now. I remember after I took some time out of cycling, I went off and thought I was Billy Big Businessman. I came back and I realized I wanted to get into cycling, but I knew after a bit, the training alone, it actually wasn't making me any fitter. I needed an entire system. It needed a 360 overhaul. So for the first time ever, I wanna share with you this exact system I used to get back in shape. 
I'm talking stuff like I'm going to give you my morning routines, the cold therapy I use, the cookbooks and recipes I used, and even the motivational audios I listen to to get back on track. So right now, what I want you to do is pause this audio, go to www.roadmancycling.com forward slash eight week, or check out the link in the bio, click that. So one more time, it's roadmancycling.com forward slash eight week. Chat to you all soon.